Will you bow with me in prayer as we get ready to hear from Luke, I mean from Ruth rather, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Please bow with me. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you've gathered us here together, Lord, and we are gathered together under your word. We're gathered under the truth. Lord, we gather for no other reason except because there's a truth that tells us that there is an eternal God, and he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners, to redeem a people. We are of that number, Lord, if we are here by faith in Christ alone. And we know and believe that your word has eternal value and is worth coming to hear from week after week after week. Lord, we gather together as your called out people, the church, for two reasons. Number one, we want to. And number one, we have to. Because to whom else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a boy in public school, one of my most favorite things to do was go on field trips. And one of my most favorite field trips was to a place that you may have been to as well in Birmingham called the Children's Theater. And I loved the Children's Theater. I loved the smell of the building, even just walking into the place. And I knew we were going to go to see a performance. And I can recall some of the first times I ever went walking into the auditorium part and it opening up just to a vast room that was dim. And I could see all the cloth-covered red seats. It just looked like they went on forever. And I remember just the hush of it in there. It was sort of quiet, though there was the talking of children all around too, but it wasn't loud. And I remember looking up on the stage and seeing the soft uh, blue and uh, aqua lights and the pinks just getting ready to illuminate this um, theater that was about to Happen, And then when it started happening, I remember thinking, wow, these are, these are real people walking around on the stage in these real costumes acting this out. This is not a screen. I'm used to seeing things like this on a, on a glowing screen. This is real. And the props on the stage, I just remember it all. I loved it. But something happened during a few of those plays at different times. And it didn't happen every time I went. But I remember something that happened during one of the plays. I'd never seen this before. All the props were on the stage and the people were acting and all these things. And then all of a sudden, a certain part of the play happened where the curtain that I thought was the only backdrop to the stage opened up to reveal another portion I didn't even know was there. And it expanded the stage. It expanded the story. There were new props and someone was behind that curtain and had set all that up and revealed it at a certain time that made the play what it was supposed to be, and even better. Ruth chapter 4 is like that. There's a curtain that opens up, and we realize someone's been behind the scenes this whole time setting things up, and now the story has expanded, and now the story becomes what it's supposed to be. Ruth chapter 4 is like that second curtain opening up. When we left off last time, Boaz was surprised and Boaz was pleased that Ruth would ask him to be the one to follow the law and redeem her to perpetuate the family name. He admired her character and godliness and she admired his character and godliness. These were two God followers 
recognizing that and the other one. And you know, God follower in here, you know. You can tell when you meet someone who's also a true, real God follower. You can sense it. You can, you can tell the authenticity. You can see a love for the truth and love for the Lord in that person. You can see this is a person of conscience and character and commitment to the truth. You can just catch it, can't you? Well, and in their case, when one's a man and, and one's a woman, and they're both single, and they both want to be married, and they both like each other, well, it's almost like they were ordained to meet. <laughs> and then wise Naomi knew that Boaz wouldn't let the matter rest until he knew what would happen. Because it turns out that, yes, he himself was indeed a kinsman redeemer. But, but, there was another gentleman even more closely related to the family than he was. So that other gentleman gets, gets what we would call today first dibs on the offer of the land and the woman. And according to the law, that was what was prescribed and is therefore what would please God. And so Boaz was submitting himself to God's word and would trust God with the outcome. Is that something you need to do in your life right now? Is there an area of your life where you need to submit yourself to what God has said in his word and trust God with the outcome? Anybody have something like that going on? In your life right now, well, I promise you that if you run out headstrong in your pride and contradiction to his word, you'll find yourself falling headlong into a painful pit of your own making. I promise you. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You will, however, find grace when you submit to God and trust him with the outcome. You will find that. And blessing, as Boaz is doing. So, this is where we pick up in chapter 4. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ruth 4. And look at me, look with me rather, um, at verses 1 through 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, Hmm, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. 
Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead might not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. This is the word of God. The first chapter of this book, you might recall, began with three funerals. But the last chapter of this book gives us a wedding. And as we'll see next week, a baby also. The first chapter contained sorrow, it contained loss, it contained sadness, but this last chapter gives us blessing and joy and hope of a future king to come. That's what we find in this last chapter. Now, some of Life's chapters, they're longer than we want them to be, (laughs) and they're harder than we want them to be. But let me tell you this, God writes them all. For the one who loves the Lord and the one who is committed to following his word, we know we can trust him during those chapters, even the chapters we don't like, even the chapters we're praying, please finish this chapter, my Lord, but be assured that he's the author of your final chapter too. You can trust him with your future. He's going to write it, and you can be assured that he has your good in mind if you're his child. He's writing your chapters, and the last may be better than the former. Now, in case some of the happenings of this chapter were confusing because they kind of were. Buying land that comes with a wife? You ever bought any land that came with a wife, gentlemen? (laughs) I haven't. You ever transacted a deal and said, here's my sandal? No thanks. (laughs) Don't don't really want your sandal. (laughs) Especially since we walk around in all this dirt. Don't want your sandal. So In case you've been confused, we need to understand things in this chapter are very Jewish. In case you didn't know, all the books of the Bible are written by Jewish men except for two books, Luke and Acts. Otherwise, this is an extremely Jewish book. Even Jesus was Jewish, by the way. (laughs) A lot of Jewish happenings here in this chapter. What do I mean? Well, these events that are going on in this chapter revolve around two different laws that we find in the law of Moses. The first one being in Leviticus 25, gives us the laws concerning the kinsman redeemer. 
Deuteronomy 25 covers the, what Jews call the leveret marriage. What's that about? It's the law that says that a brother, or in our case, a close relative, is to marry the widow of the deceased brother. Now, why would God give laws like this? Why even have laws like this? Well, the purpose of these laws was to preserve the family's portion of property in Israel and also to preserve the family name. A third reason would be that um, the Lord condemned stealing land, obviously, and this is a way to protect that land that was given to this people. Now, why is that also important? Well, remember the people of Israel are made, they're not just one nation, kind of like we are. They, they were, but they were also divided into 12 tribes. And each tribe had a designated land. This also made sure that the tribes got to continue to keep their designated land. So that's just some of the reasons for laws like this. Now, you probably picked up on how many times the word either redeem or redeemer or redeeming were said. They were said quite a lot, actually, in this entire chapter. If you were to read the whole chapter, which we're going to finish it next week, uh, you'll see that 12 times, there's a total of 12 times the words redeem, redeemer, or redeeming are used. So it's saturated with this idea of a redeemer. Remember what it means. Redeemer means to either set free or to purchase by paying a price. Redeemer means to set free or to purchase by paying a price. Now, also the situation going on in this chapter, Warren Wiersbe explained it really well, said that in the case of Naomi and Ruth, Elimelech's property, that's Naomi's husband that died, Elimelech, in case you forgot. This property had either been sold or was still under some kind of mortgage. And the rights had been passed on to Ruth's now late husband, Malon, when his father died. But now that Malon had also passed away, this explains why Ruth is so involved in the transaction. Had she had the money to purchase this land herself, then she could have done that. But as a needy widow, she was poor and could not redeem the land. So that's why, if you're wondering, what's, I don't understand what's happening. Why is this all going down like this? That's why this is going down like this. That's the facts, or in Warren Wiersbe's case, probably a very educated assumption of, of why Ruth's also wrapped up in this. So, since Ruth comes along with the deal, that's actually uh, what caused it to pass to Boaz instead. The closer redeemer didn't want to take Ruth on as a wife. What if she has sons with him? Well, then his inheritance that he already has would have to then be divided among those sons too. And so he says, you know what? On second thought, I'm going to say no to the deal. He says, lest I impair my own inheritance. He doesn't want to jeopardize his inheritance in any way. I want to make sure it passes down to the sons I already have, perhaps. So, 
What happens after that? What happens after that is the curtain gets pulled back. A second curtain gets pulled back on the stage, and we see that there's something else going on. There's something else the Lord has been setting up this whole time that none of our three main characters even knew about. Naomi, Ruth, even Boaz did not know it was going to happen. They didn't even have a clue. God was orchestrating heaven and earth around these events. These were very important events to make sure, number one, that those who follow him receive a blessing because he blesses those who follow him. If you're a follower of Christ, you can even point at blessings that were happening during hard times in your life, can't you? There have been hard times in my life that I can still point at and say, but you know what? God did this there, and God did that there, and God was assuring me that he was close to me there. Actually, some of the closest times I've had, some of the times of the greatest growth in my life of love to the Lord Jesus, of trust in the Lord God, were during hard times, not during good ones. I mean, there's been, it's been rare for me to be on a vacation where all I was doing is sitting on the beach, watching the kids play in the sand, and been like, the Lord is teaching me a super wonderful life-altering truth at this moment. No. Was I loving his blessings at that moment? Absolutely. But it's honestly been, it's honestly been the really hard times where I've grown closest to the Lord and trusted him even greater and seen an angle of his face that I had not seen before during the hard times. And so God's been orchestrating, moving heaven and earth so that his people will receive a blessing during this time and also to ensure that the road for the Messiah gets paved because it's going to happen through Boaz and Ruth. And isn't it interesting that all this is happening, did you pick up on this? All this is happening in the little town of Bethlehem. Did you pick up on that? They're in Bethlehem where all this is going down. Hmm, interesting. It's almost like there's this big sovereign hand over all these events. Three things, there's three things that have to be true if you're a kinsman redeemer in order for you to redeem what by the law is yours. I want to talk about that because there's some great connections between who Boaz is and what he's doing with Ruth and who Jesus is and what he does with us. There's this great connection. Oh, and by the way, that's why I titled this sermon Kinsman Redeemer um, because this is a very important topic to this entire book. So one of the three things that have to be true in order for you to be a kinsman redeemer Well, they're connected with Jesus Christ as well. Number one is this, that the Redeemer had to be a near kinsman. He had to be a near kinsman. Remember, that's why Boaz said to Ruth, hey, listen, I'm all for this plan, but you got to know this. There's someone nearer than me. And we have to submit to God's law here and trust him with the outcome. So he has to be a near kinsman. He had to be related to you to redeem you. And the more closely related to you, the more right of redemption he had. Listen to this verse. 
The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. Listen to Philippians 2, 7. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ became our near kinsman. He became flesh. He emptied himself of the glory portion that he had with God in heaven forever and isolated himself in flesh. He became man like you and I. Can't get more near than that to the human race than becoming a human. He is our near kinsman redeemer. Jesus became our near kinsman in order that he could redeem us. Number two, the redeemer also had to be able to pay the redemption price. Ruth's out of the equation here because she, doesn't, she can't pay the price. She does not have the currency to make this happen. So number one, the Redeemer had to be a near kinsman. Number two, the Redeemer has to pay this redemption price. No one but Jesus has the currency to purchase a people for God. He alone has the currency of heaven. If you go to different countries, you have to exchange your money for their money, don't you? Because the currency of God that was required for the transaction to purchase a people for God was the sinless sacrifice of his very own son. Only Jesus has that currency. Only Jesus could pay that price. Listen to this, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, not that kind of currency. What kind of currency, Peter? Tell us. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You've probably studied that portion of Genesis. I believe it's Genesis 22, where the Lord tests Abraham and says to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice to me on a mountain that I will show you. Of course, he stays his hand. He doesn't follow through with it. He says, now I know, now I know that you have faith in me. Well, here's the, here's the truth. Isaac wouldn't have even been an acceptable sacrifice anyway. Do you know why? He was a sinner. He wasn't even an acceptable sacrifice. Jesus, however, is the one who has sinlessness on his account. He kept the law on our behalf. Listen to Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. There's that currency again. Listen to Titus 2.14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus paid the price with his own blood, the sacrifice of himself for sinners. He kept the law on our behalf, and he also absorbed the wrath that should rightly be ours. Both of those things have to be true for this individual. And he did them. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 
What's the third thing that has to be true about a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer, thirdly, had to be willing to redeem. Remember, the closer redeemer to Ruth said, on second thought, I'm not willing to do that. Okay. Then it didn't have to go down because the redeemer has to be willing, has to want to do it. Listen to John 10, 11 through 17. Let's see if we pick up on Jesus being willing to do what he did. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Jesus is our willing redeemer. He says, I am the good shepherd And I have a sheep, and I lay down my life for them. I'm not like these hired hands. They care nothing for the sheep. They're only in it for the money. They're only in it for number one. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why the Father loves me, because I lay down down my life for the sheep. I purchased this people whom he gave me. So just as Boaz was a near kinsman who could pay the redemption price and was willing to do so, our Lord Jesus Christ shows all those qualifications as well. But he shows them in their perfection. See, we see a lot of examples of things um, among men, goodness, kindness, all these things, and we say, I want to be more like that. God, however, holds all those attributes in perfection. There was a saying long ago, the Theologians of old called God the most perfect. The most perfect being. There, and as you know, that's, that doesn't, it almost doesn't even make sense. Because if something's perfect, there can't be a more perfect. And then there can't be a most perfect. It's them doing their best with the English language just to show how high and holy and awesome he is. See, Jesus holds all these qualifications that Boaz was showing, but Jesus holds them in their perfection. We become the bride of Christ through faith. Church. And here we find Boaz, I'm I'm sorry, here we find Ruth, rather, becomes the bride of Boaz because God's faithful to keep his promise. We become the bride of Christ by faith, Ruth is becoming the bride of Boaz because God is faithful. God is faithful to keep his promises to bring about this Messiah who will come. Let me close with this. A little bit shorter today, huh? You're welcome. Let me close with this. R.C. Sproul said this to set us up for next week because next week, yes, we're having church on Christmas. And yes, guess what? We just so happened to land on the portion where this child's going to be born. He's going to bring Jesus eventually. Wonderful. R.C. Sproul said this, 
Ruth has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord, and she will receive a full reward from him. Though a foreigner, Ruth's loyalty to God will become a key element in God's great plan of redemption. The plan will be worked out through David, the covenant king, and through Christ, David's greater son. The reward of Ruth's faith far transcends local time and circumstances. And we'll learn more about that next week on Christmas Day. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for these truths. Lord, they are potent, wonderful truths. I pray that you would please help us. Lord, please help us to mimic our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Please help us, of course, to be focused on him during this time of year. Lord, thank you that you are working behind the curtains, curtains that are veiling things right now to us that we can't see. We know that you are working behind the scenes to bring about something. And we know also that you're going to, there is a day coming where you will pull open the curtains of the heavens and you will return again. Lord, I pray that you would find a people that day who are committed to the truth. We're committed to not only living for the truth, but we're even willing to die for the truth. It's that precious to us. So please help us to walk in it in our daily lives and to trust you to be like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.